things theology, all things theology. We chop it up properly without an apology. Gotta get doxology to God hollow because this is how we do it at all things theology. Yo, grace and peace, guys. Welcome to another edition of All Things Theology. I'm your host, K Dub. And man, been a little while, guys. Been a while. Been a while. Good to be back here. Good to be back. Today, got a good episode, but just want to thank those that are watching on uh, YouTube. Make sure to leave a comment. Uh, tell me what your thoughts are on this video as we get into it. And if you're not subscribed, please do so. Please do that. Like this video. If you're listening on podcast streaming app, thank you. Share this out if it blesses you. Now, let's get into the video, man. Today, I want to talk about the Pope of White Fragility. I'm <laughs> just kidding. No, this is a main, a main voice of white fragility. Um, and, and the reason why I'm addressing this particular person, this particular topic, is because we guys know, if you've been listening here, if you've been paying any attention to a lot of Southern Baptist uh, circles or, or Christian circles, you know that the topic of white fragility has come up more than once. But this person has been a major influencer, influencer, in that particular topic, Robin D'Angelo, right? She has wrote the book on white fragility. And I saw, I, I, I don't know how this came through my feed, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was a like something to watch. It was like eight minutes long. So I was like, hey, I've, I've never, never really listened to her as far as like uh, lecture wise. So I was like, hey, I, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. I'll listen to white, white uh, Robin D'Angelo talk about white fragility. And let's uh let's get into it, guys. Let's, let's just get into it. You know, I don't want to waste any time. Let's get into what she has to say, and I'm going to give her critique on what she has to say. All right, so as you see on the screen, for those watching, for those listening, I'll read to you. It says three ways to challenge white fragility. Okay, so we're gonna gonna go through how what she's what she says. Three ways to challenge your white fragility. And uh, sorry, white people, this may this may challenge your white fragility. <laughs> the first guidance that I would offer white people is to work to answer the question, what does it mean to be white? All right, so let's just see, stop there. So um, the first way to challenge white fragility is to, you know, define what does it mean to be white? You know, so she's got to define what it means to be white. So let's get into her definition of whiteness, as we've heard before. In some ways that may seem like a simple question, but I've been asking my fellow white people and myself that question for 25 years and consistently white people have very patterned responses to it and the first response is discomfort and the second is an inability to think critically about that question and if you can't answer what it means to be white you cannot hold what it means not to be white our inability to think critically about how our own race shapes us is not benign and it's not neutral and it's not innocent. The collective impact of the white majority not being able to answer that question, how race shapes our lives, 
collectively creates an environment that is hostile and unsupportive to people of color. Echo, so even there, right? Um, so, right, it, it seems like Robin D'Angelo, I mean, what's, well, well, let me start up here first, that white people are monolithic, right? Because this has to be a collective answer of what it means to be white. Now, she wants to say, you know, collectively, right? Not individualistically, but but then she'll use individualistic language, you know, how you personally are, are shaped by your, you know, biases and, and things like that. Um, you know, like I said, so I don't believe that white people are monolithic. I don't think any particular people are monolithic and nor do I think uh, the question what it means to be black, what it means to be white are um, makes up who you are. And we'll get even more into that. So like, you know, so if you don't agree with uh, her definition of what it means to be white, right? Uh, if you don't think you, that's a starting point question, even to ask about a person right away, you know, you, she, she seems, well, it just makes you uncomfortable, you know, and white people don't want to talk about things like what it means to be white, right? Because uh, we all know they're racist, which you'll get into a little bit later, but, and, and, and nevertheless, what it means to be white kind of say, say projects what's this, what, what that means for people of color, i.e., Black people, but not my kind of black people, right? We know the black people she's talking about because <laughs> not black conservatives, you know, not not the, you know, thousands of black conservatives, millions of black conservatives. Uh, it's a particular kind of uh, black person that's painted by white liberals. It's, that's that's the people of color she's talking about. Don't, don't be confused, guys. She's not talking about me, people of color. <laughs> because people of color working and living in primarily white environments know then most white people can't answer that question. We just know it, right? We, we know that white people don't know what it means to be white. As if there's a collectivist answer on what it means to be white. It's, you know, there's like there's a collective answer on what it means to be black, although there are people that try to paint that there is. And so I, I, reject, I reject her starting points because, like, like I said, we we're going to get further into why. And that means they can't bring their authentic selves. They can't talk to us about what they're experiencing. They can't give us feedback about what they're experiencing from us. I, I find it very weird and arrogant and actually insulting that she wants to speak collectively as a white person. And, 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 and notice this, guys. She claims to be a racist. Now, she's going to define the racism she kind of means because she's not talking about the KKK racism. Um, although... I think a lot of that comes from her struggles, but that's just me personally speaking. Um, she's not talking about that kind of racism. She has the right, the new definition of racism that a lot of people in churches have bought into, by the way. And so that's really why I'm getting into this video. And she wants to tell you how black people think. Black people, you know what? They really struggle talking to white people because white people don't want to admit they're white and what it means to be white. <laughs> I'll tell you what, as a black person, I don't go around ever thinking that. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> you know, my main things are trying to please the Lord and make sure I provide for my wife and, you know, what I'm going to eat that day. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't go around thinking, look at that white person. They don't even know what it means to be white. That's why I can't talk to them. I'm so frustrated by my experiences. Oh, <laughs> making black people sound fragile. For several reasons. One, I'm going to have no 
critical awareness to engage in the conversation. I'm going to have no skills in navigating that conversation. And I'm going to likely have no emotional capacity to withstand the discomfort of that conversation. And that means that people of color endure countless daily slights and indignities, mostly unaware and unintentional, but harmful nonetheless. And they endure those and take them home because their consistent experience is that things are going to get worse for them if they try to talk to us about it rather than better. So she's the expert on, you know, the experiences of black people, how they feel, because she really understands what it means to be white. And, you know, you can see this white fragility leading into concepts like white guilt. Um, and so <laughs> I just find this kind of very saddening that she goes around thinking, one, this is this is good that, you know, um, one, black people really feel like they can't talk to white people. Um, and two, white people are so, as she said, right, illogical, unaware um, of what it means to be white right as she has explained what it means to be white um that they can't even listen to black people and so I, th I think she's creating this narrative of hostility between these two ethnicities from the jump and we're going to see how worse it gets it gets what if you're thinking how could it get worse just watch the very first thing we need to do is begin to unpack how race shapes our lives. You know, we're raised to think about race as what they have. And if we're going to be talking about race, we expect we'll be talking about their race. And we have to start putting the lens on ourselves. And that is a lifelong process. The second... So I want you to remember, this is a lifelong process. You'll never arrive fully, though. It's a lifelong process. Guidance I would offer my fellow white people is to change what you understand it means to be racist. All right. So her second way to challenge, you know, in those white fragility is change what you understand what it means to be racist. So historically what you thought to be racist, right? Um, you know, hateful of another um, ethnicity, you know, superior, you know, that having the superiority complex or, inf you know, b believing that another racist ethnicity is inferior changing that understanding you know the understanding which it's always been it needs to be changed that's not the true racism of critical race theory mainstream teaches us that a racist is an individual who consciously doesn't like people based on race apparently has to be conscious in order to count and intentionally seeks to be mean to them also apparently needs to be intentional in order to count. So individual, conscious, malintent across race. And I don't know that you could have come up with a more effective way to protect the system of racism. Because if that's what I think it means to be racist, and you suggest that anything I've said or done is racially problematic, that I'm making an assumption that comes from a racist framework, much less that I benefit and collude with the system of racism just by being white, what I'm going to hear you saying is that I am a morally wrong and bad person. Yes, yes, uh, yes, that would definitely be the case. But notice she doesn't think that 
the new definition of racism presupposes moral evil bad person um just the way she framed that but notice what she said even prior to that that you know hold on, let me let me go back so you can definitely hear that and i don't know that you could have come up with a more effective way to protect the system of racism because if that's what i think it means to be racist and you suggest that anything i've said or done is racially problematic that i'm making a assumption that comes from a racist framework much less that i benefit and collude with a system of racism just by being white that's that that you benefit and collude from the system just by being white right that that involves her definition of racism so if you are white you are a beneficiary of of you know the system of which is racist and so and and you can see how this secular concept has embodied and um, popped its ugly uh, secular head in many pulpits. You know, I know many of you guys have heard this. That's this exact same teaching ideology um, that has uh, made itself aware in many churches. That's why I say Robin D'Angelo's books have been passed out in many churches. Her books are in churches. In many churches, she... The, her preaching in the pulpit would not be a problem, stating everything she just said. What I'm going to hear you saying is that I am a morally wrong and bad person, and now I'm going to have to defend my moral character. I think that simplistic definition of what it means to be racist is the root of virtually all white defensiveness on this topic. And it's actually incredibly liberating to just start from... So, hold on, before she gets to that, because I definitely want to get into that. So, if you don't think you're a racist, like, that's that's a part of the problem if you're white. No, because, right, we, we know this isn't about people of color, right? People of color are not racist, not in the way she's talking about. Um, so, but if you don't think you're a racist, like, you've just set up um, defense mechanisms to protect yourself because you benefit from the system, Right? And so that's that's her reason why you, you don't want to think you're a racist. Is the root of virtually all white defensiveness on this topic. And it's actually incredibly liberating to just start from the premise that, of course, you've absorbed a racist worldview. You're so, so so it is racism. It is sorry. It is liberating to assume the premise. Right. That you're racist. I, I don't know how that's uh, liberating at all to just. Hey, before there's any proof, the premise is true that you're a racist. So to even ask the question how or why you're a racist, hold on, hold on. Don't you want to be liberated? Well, yeah, but how am I a racist? See, that is the very proof you're so that's how like the logic goes in in white fragility, Robin D'Angelo's critical race theory world. You have to start from the premise. Right? It it just like she says in her book, um, you know. It is the air, racism is the air you breathe. You know, it's not how or why you are racist. It's you are a racist. You have to start from that premise. In racist water, you live in a society in which racism is embedded in all institutions and policies and practices and norms and language. And of course, you've absorbed it. It's everywhere. 
except critical race theory and you know cons- you know that's that's not racist that's the liberation <laughs> it's everywhere except what i'm telling you you know so it's kind of it's kind of uh you know self you know refuting because you know this this ideology of critical race theories is actually to expose the racism and and to liberate us from you know when i say us the white white people <laughs> white people from um racism and it's supposed to be the liberator but critical race theory says every system every ideology policy is rooted in racism it is the air we breathe she said it's the water we drink so <laughs> it's either it's either it's true or not so i i find that kind of ironic that she uh states things like that and so you can just stop defending deflecting denying hoping nobody will notice explaining minimizing so stop denying you're a racist. Just admit it. Just admit it, my friend, and you will be liberated. You know, this is kind of, you know, I imagine someone, I'll speak to males out here. Males, imagine someone accusing you of um, having a relationship with a woman you didn't have and uh, forcing yourself on her in a way she didn't want, Okay. And someone comes up to you or just admit you did it. Come on. There's no, it's, you're not a morally evil person. Just admit you did it. And you will be liberated by this truth. <laughs> if you're any rational man, uh, and if, you know, rape has any meaning of definition, even if you rechange that to mean a system by men, if, you know, get advantage you still wouldn't want to be called a rapist, right? I only changed one letter in that word, by the way. <laughs> but uh, I hope you guys get my point. You know, no rational person, just because you changed the definition of, of what it means to be racist, and I even reject her new form of definition of racism because it's not actually fair. It's, it's um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's asinine, you know? And I, like I said, I know that a lot of people have bought into this, a lot of Christians, but I want to I want them to know where they're getting it from. You know, her and, you know, Peggy McIntosh. These people were uh, hostile to the Christian fight, Christian faith. And so, yeah, you can change the definition all you want and make it seem like it's a good thing for people to admit they're racist, even when they're not. But it's it's yeah, it's it's not a good thing. And get to work aligning what you profess to value with the actual action of your life. It's liberating, I, I cannot convey that enough. And most of white fragility that we're encountering is coming from this idea that to suggest that one has been impacted by racism is to suggest that one is an intentionally mean person across race. That so, right, um, anybody um, rejecting what um, Robin D'Angelo claims it means to be racist, they are showing their white fragility. That's what she claims, right? To ask how or why, that is white fragility, right? And so, um, yeah, for her, it's a, it's a good thing to admit you're a racist. But I, I don't know about you guys, but I do not want a a drunkard, you know, Let's say I struggled with drunkenness. Say I was a drunkard and I wanted to get rid of, you know, that problem I had. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want a drunkard 
telling me how to get rid of this problem. But with this issue, it's funny. We, we think it's informative to listen to a racist tell us how to get rid of racism. You know, she admits to being your open. She, she admits to being a racist. Now, obviously, it's her new founded definition of racism. But I don't think that racist should inform us on how to get rid of racism. I, I mean, maybe you guys differ. Tell me what you think. Easier said than done because it's so deep inside our psyches that that's what it means to be racist. But that is what we have to constantly work on, changing what you understand it means. We cannot get where we need to go from the dominant paradigm that says only the Richard Spencers of the world, only neo-Nazis could ever be racist. We have to stop saying things like, I don't have a racist bone in my body, which is absurd if you have any self-awareness or self-knowledge. And, and by the way, she's talking about white people, not, not, not people of color. But she, she's saying, if you think that you're not a racist, you're a racist. Like, it's absurd because from her perspective, if you're white, you are a racist to say, hey, no, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, because like I said, she's not talking about, you know, hateful, um, you know, bigoted, KKK style racism, neo-Nazi racism, but the racism that says white people benefit from societies, which I even say that's asinine um, because even if you accepted the level of the systemic racism talk and uh, white people are beneficiaries, beneficiaries, there are many white people who don't, you can point to, they say, look, they're not, they're not helping your case. And, you know, those things just get dismissed and, you know, they have other words to label you as and things like that. The last guidance I would offer is humility coupled with accountability. I will never be free of my racist conditioning. So Boom. There you go. So she she will never be free. No matter how hard she works, she strives and labors and toils day by day, night by night, hour by hour, minute by minute. She's still going to be a racist. I mean, boy, join our system, right? <laughs> to get rid of racism. But you'll never not be racist. I mean, don't you ever think that. No matter how much you dismantle the system or even if the system gets flipped uh, racism will be with you forever right because you'll always be a racist man what a, what a depressing ideology what a what a backwards message from christianity right i think of first corinthians 6 of such were some of you right but you were washed you were sanctified there's no such were some of you in critical race theory in white fragility ideology Right, you will always be this racist. I mean, says the leader, right? Just be really clear. As a result of being raised as a white person in this society, I have a racist worldview. I have racist biases. So I want to know her, is critical race theory a racist worldview, right? She says she has a, a racist worldview and she holds a critical race theory and white fragility, all these things. Are these part of the racist worldview? Or they are the uh, liberator of the racist worldview. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I would hope she would. I, I know she's not going to answer me personally, but to my white fragility, white guilted friends out there, what do you say?
have investments in a system that has served me and that is comfortable and that has helped me overcome barriers that I do face. I'm not saying why people don't face barriers, but we don't face that one and not facing that one. So white people don't face barriers of, of racism. You know, they're, they're the races, not the victim of, of races, you know, so <laughs> there you go. Because the system's for white people, apparently. How we navigate the barriers that we do face. And I also have an investment in not seeing it with that. But what it would suggest to me about my identity as a good moral person, if I can't move past this idea that only mean, intentional people could be racist. And I also have an investment in not seeing that because what it would actually require of me in practice, and it would require much more than smiling and niceness. It would require much more than fond regard. There's so many of us who are white think that if there's fond regard across race, there can't be racism. This is why we invoke all our friends. I have men in my life who have fond regard for me, and on occasion they reveal a sexist worldview rooted in patriarchy. How could they not? Again, we can be in the... It's all the system, you know, it's, it's, it's always outward, never inward. So, so her view of sin or, you know, um, yeah, sin, it's, it's outward. It's all outward, not inward. Yeah, yeah, I don't actually hate women or view them as lower or hate the other ethnicity, but I'm a part of the system that does. And so, you know, I, I think that's kind of, you know, backwards in their Christian worldview. And still perpetrate problematic behaviors on occasion. So we have to have humility, ongoing humility about the necessary limits of our understanding. And we cannot use our own self-image to certify ourselves as free of racism and good to go. I am the... Well, unless you're a racist, then that is proof of the system's racism, you know, so... <laughs> why don't you have humility for people who confront with you and say, maybe you're wrong about this because it's, you need to be humility. What she's essentially, you need to have humility to come to the conclusion I've come to, you know, so. least qualified to determine how well I'm doing. I don't call myself an ally. I don't call myself an anti-racist and I don't walk around feeling woke. Because the moment I do, I'm complacent, I'm arrogant, and I'm likely to be highly defensive at any suggestion that I may not be quite as woke as I think that I am. <laughs> There's always someone more woke than you. So you Christians out there who are have bought into this, you know, um, don't think you're woke yet. Don't think you're such an anti-racist or an ally because... Hey, you, you bought into this system that says you'll always be a racist. So you have much work to do before you can even think of calling yourself woke or anti-racist or an ally to people of color. For people of color to decide how well I'm doing. And well, <laughs> allow me to inform you how well I think you're doing. <laughs> like I said, I, I don't think she's talking about me, but I, I think her, her ideology, her worldview is, is uh, fundamentally... Uh, one asinine, but also fundamentally bad for solving the problem or what she perceives as a problem of racism. Um, it doesn't actually help because from her worldview, it, there's no getting out of it. It's, it's always there. You can't escape that problem. So I don't know how, 
like I said, that's so conflicting because in her worldview, you know, she she say that, but then she has as we're like we have much much work to do to uh, dismantle the system. How can you dismantle the system that will always be there? You know, so there are some fundamental questions that I think she needs to reflect on. How do I know what their determination is? Am I in accountable relationships? And I want to be really clear, having a friend of color, being married to somebody of color, having nieces and nephews of color, working in a diverse workplace is not accountability. Accountability practices. So you can do everything, you know, you could really just show your heart of helping people of color, giving your money, uh, befriending black people, um, marrying your wine, um, having family members, investing time. None of that proves you're not a racist. <laughs> None of that proves anything, you know, for for white fragility ideology. Include donating a percentage of your income to racial justice causes led by people of color. Ah, reparations, you know, and not just reparations, reparations to to organizations that are led by black people. Um, and so if you're not if you're not giving that cash, white people, you're not really you ain't really sorry. <laughs> You can say it all day you want, but, you know, Jerry Maguire, man, show me the money. Show me the money, man, if you're really sorry. So, hey, Robin D'Angelo, this is your opportunity. You can give to All Things Theology. It's led by a black male to really show, <laughs> uh, really show how sorry you are, you know. I won't believe you. I won't believe you until, you know. And 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 then once you give, I'll determine how accountable you are, how humble you've been. <laughs> how do how do I do, guys? I, I'm trying this woke thing out, you know. <laughs> Having a clearly defined relationships across race, where you pay people of color to give you feedback or to engage in these conversations. I'm all for it. I am all for it. Robin D'Angelo, like I said, uh, I'll leave a comment, feel free to email me, and uh, I'll give you my feedback. Once I see the, you know, cash first, you know, because of course I can't, you know how, you know how it is, people of color aren't really, really willing to talk to white people, you know, as, as you stated so eloquently in this video. You don't just assume that they are there to do all that emotional work and all that heavy lifting. That is a piece of the conversation you have with people you're seeking to have accountability relationships with. And you Man, black people in this video, she just make black people just sound so soft, so, I don't know, weak. Like, we, we need all those white people to help because we're just, we're just going through so much. and Life is hard and I don't know what I'm going to do if a white person comes and talks to me. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, that's, that is a description of Kyle J. Howard, but that is not, a, <laughs> that is a uh, true description of somebody, you know, but that is not a description of your average black person. Most, I don't think most black people think about what's going in the hearts and minds of white people, you know, so. White people in your life who have a strong analysis and who will lovingly hold you accountable. And then you build your capacity to notice your own behaviors and practices. And when you put all those three things together, relationships with people of color, 
strong relationships with white people who will challenge you, and ongoing, continual struggling and grappling and educating yourself, you're going to have much more accountable relationships. But just kind of assuming smiling and niceness is all you need is not going to cut it. Ain't going to cut it, white folks. Ain't going to cut it. You know, if you're just being smiling nice to black people, you know, just treating them like a human being, you know, um, <laughs> that's not good enough. You know, she's on that Jerry Maguire ideology. Show me the money. You know, you can't just be nice to people and just treat people equal and fair and just love them. And, you know, I don't know, just respect them as a person made in the image of God. No, it's not enough. Man, guys, this is this is sad because, like I said, this this is this stuff has been coming into the church. I've I, you know I've seen this from mainline pastors and you know teachers who have, like I said, been teaching everything she just said would have been applauded in many churches today. You know, it just really shows how much of of Christianity and and stuff people who have bought into this ideology have gone so far from what scripture teaches because you can't find none of that in the bible not, if, we're, if we're if we're looking for what the bible says about these issues i mean no way none of that's in the bible but that just really shows you know you have a lot of christian circles listening more to secularism than what scripture has to say about things like you know partiality and things like that and so yeah i hope i was informative to a lot of people when it comes to this issue of white fragility and what I think about it and white guilt and, and the issue of racism, um, you know, because I do think there is a um, force out there that is trying to change this definition to get people to buy, white people, that is, to buy into a system of, or a concept that is not true. And it's not a biblical category for what she's speaking about. You know, and so, um, yeah, guys, hope you enjoyed this video. Make sure to leave a comment, to drop a like, to share this episode if it blesses you guys. Thank you for watching another episode of All Things Theology. Till the next time, grace and peace. Everybody, everybody.